Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this series, Pastor Chad Gilligan talks about things that affect us in our everyday lives. Listen as he teaches us how to live in light of what Christ has done for us in this series called Real Life Stuff. Before, before we jump into the message, let me give you kind of a little, uh, little disclaimer here today. Um, today's message is PG-13. Okay, we are, we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're at the passage of scripture where Paul talks about immorality in the early church. And, and so today, just, just so you know, I mean, most weeks we try to keep the messages kind of rated G. Some weeks when it gets crazy around here, we go PG. But today we're, we're PG-13 because I'm, I'm going to repeatedly use the word S-E-X, Okay. And um, just so we have great children's ministry, and so parents, if that, uh, whether you're watching online or um, if you're in auditorium too or you're here, just kind of a, a warning as we um, go into this and give you a little bit of an uh, insight as we, we move forward. Our family has a minivan we've had for about 10 years. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a great vehicle, but it's got some quirks to it. Like it always starts, but it doesn't always start the first time. I don't know why. You put the key in the ignition, you turn it. Sometimes it starts. Sometimes you gotta you gotta try it again. You gotta go back a second time. Maybe give it a little bit of gas, and and it, it starts. It's been a good vehicle, but I've just always felt like maybe we got like the runt of the minivan litter. Does that make sense? I always kind of feel like maybe we just we got the we got the loser in the match. And so it doesn't always start. And then it's got those really cool doors on the side that you push a button and they open and close. Do you know what I mean? They're super cool, except they don't always work. Like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just, they're, they're complicated. They get a little bit of uh, like an attitude with this sometimes. Every so often they'll actually just open on their own, which is kind of interesting. We've thought about having that accidentally happen sometimes when the kids aren't wearing a seatbelt and we're irritated. We've thought about it, never, never done it. But sometimes it'll, the other things it'll do, like when it's opening, it makes that little chiming noise. And sometimes just for no reason, it'll just start making the chiming noise on the highway at 65 miles an hour when you can do nothing about it. And it's just, it's been a good vehicle. It's just always had these, I don't know, weird little quirks that have always made me go, something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with our van. And then one day I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who had the same van. He said, how do you like your van? I said, it's, it's good. He says, does, does it always start the first time? I'm like, no, yours does that? He's like, yeah, it doesn't always start the first time. He goes, how about the doors? Do they? Yes, they do. <laughs> Our doors do the same thing. And it was wonderful to know that it wasn't just us. We weren't the only ones who were struggling with this van that was, just didn't seem to work quite right. And it was good for us to know, maybe you know this feeling, when sometimes you just, it's good to know you're just not alone. Other people struggle with the same thing. Today, we are going to talk about a really sensitive subject. We're going to talk about the subject of sex. It is probably one of the most private and powerful motivators in people's lives. And part of what I want you to know today as we look at this subject is that for some of you who maybe would prefer that we didn't talk about this, is that you're not alone. When I said that today we were going to talk about the subject of sex, many of the husbands went, yes! <laughs> and a lot of the guests said, what? 
And most of the, most of the students in, in high school went, oh no, oh no. But it's important for us to talk about because the Bible does. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and before we get there, just recognize this. In, in the book of Ephesians, and in the book of Colossians, and in the book of Galatians, and in the book of, of First Thessalonians, and then a lot in the book of Corinthians, Paul has to talk about this to the church. Why does he talk about this subject so much? Because there were so many challenges there. There was so much immorality in the world at that time that Paul had to speak to it. And in a world that we live in, in a culture that is increasingly becoming more and more immoral. Agreed? It's important for us to know that these struggles that we face, these challenges that we come up against, these questions that we have, we're, we're not alone. The same questions that we ask today are the questions that Paul needed to address in the church in the first century. And so here's, here's kind of where we're headed today. If you are a married couple and you're here today, then my hope is that as we talk about this, whether, whatever state of life you may be in right now, however you would give a status update on your marriage, my encouragement is that today, as we look at what God's word says, you will recognize the beautiful gift that God has given to us in this subject. And there's some of you that are here today that are unmarried. And my hope is that today, this will be a helpful guide for us to see what Scripture says in an oversexed world about God's idea on this important topic, whether or not you feel like it applies to you or not. And then I really want to talk to those of you who are unmarried, in particular our students, young adults. I want you to know that if, I, if I've got a target for today's message, you have a bullseye on your head. You're the ones more than anybody else, that I want you to hear what God's word says to you today. That God's word is a guidebook for this incredibly important part of our lives. And my hope is this, that if you will recognize what God's word says about this subject at this season in your life, then it will save you hurt and pain later in your life. Amen? And here's what I also know. I also know that in this room, and in, in the other rooms that are joining us by video, and those of you that may be watching online or watching by TV, we've got so many different um, people and experiences that we're talking to. And my hope is that you'll recognize that God's Holy Spirit has the ability to take his word and then speak deeply to the parts of our lives and bring transformation and bring healing and bring life so let's look at this passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. What does Paul say on this subject? Beginning with verse 3. It says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. From, from those five verses, and I want to kind of look at each verse individually, unpack some truths from it. I want to give you five truths about sex that we see in this passage of Scripture today. And here's the first one, truth number one, that God's view of sex is not the same as the world's. Number one, God's view of sex is not the same as the world's. 
God views things differently from our culture. He views things differently from what the world around us would say about this important subject. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, look at what Paul writes. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You see what he says here? He says, look, God's people view this subject of sexuality different than the world does. And you got to remember, Paul's writing to a group of people who are coming out of their world, they're coming out of their culture, and they're coming into the church. And as a result, he has to say to them, look, now that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, things you, you, you got to view things God's way. you got to see things differently and the way that he wants want you to see things. This is from a resource called the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary. And in writing about how this subject affected the church in Ephesus, listen to what he says here. He says, sexual immorality was an enormous problem in the early church among the Gentiles. Adulterous relationships, men sleeping with their slave girls, incest, prostitution, sacred sexual encounters in the local temples, and homosexuality were all a part of everyday life in that culture. There was no pervasive social standard with regard to sexual relations. Jews had long been appalled at the behavior of the Gentiles in this regard and considered them impure. The Mishnah, which was sacred Jewish writings, even prohibited a Jewish woman from ever being left alone with a Gentile because he cannot be trusted sexually. The word pornea that Paul uses here is a broad term covering all kinds of illicit sexual behavior, not just fornication or premarital sex. The term is used abundantly in Jewish literature, written in Greek with reference to sexual sins of all kinds. So it tells us here that the church in that time was in a culture that was incredibly immoral in what they had to say with regards to the subject of sexuality. And I would say that the same is increasingly true in our culture. Would you not agree? That our world is taking on a standard with regards to the subject of sex that's different from the world around us. It views sexuality as something that you go out and get. As almost like a possession that you have. And that if you're not keeping up with what culture says is the appropriate way to do this, then somehow you're missing out. That your life is less. That you don't have what other people have. And it's everywhere. It's pervasive all in our society. And it's important for us to know that God's standard on this is different. He views it different than our culture does. And it's critical that we grasp what God's word says about this subject. Several months ago, I, I sat down with a guy who, if you just looked at the world's definition of this subject of, of sex, he, uh, he had it all. I mean, with regards to what the culture says this should be like, how you should have it, he was living the dream. He could have had everything that the culture said that he should have. And yet he leaned across the table from me and looked me in the eyes and told me how miserable he was in the midst of it all. Because he had not accepted God's definition on this subject. And the result of that was devastating in his life. If God's definition is different, then, then what does it look like? Let, let me give it to you today. I, I want to share with you a, a definition that I think is, uh, is, is clear from Scripture. I'm going to give you some ideas what I believe the Bible tells us about this subject. Now, I know that when I say this, some of you might say, well, I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that, and, and I, just want to, I just want to tell you what God's Word says. And you might say, Chad, why should we believe what you say here? And I would just say, trust me, I've been to Israel. No, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. But here's the deal. 
I just want to show you what God's word says about this subject. And I want to just show you what, not just one verse, but what scripture says in total, how it defines this for us, and even what common sense says about some things that are sometimes debated in our society. So let's just say this real quick. Walk through God's definition. Uh, Let me give it to you, and then we'll kind of break it down. Sex is a gift from God to be shared between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime for the purposes of procreative recreation and intimate recreation. Let me read that one more time, and then we're going we're gonna to go through it one line by line, and, and so you'll have a chance if you're, if you're trying to, to write it down. But, and, I, and I know that it might not be totally complete in its definition, but this will help us for today. Sex is a gift from God to be shared between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime for the purposes of procreative recreation and intimate recreation. So let's start with this first line. It, it, the Bible tells us, I believe, that sex is a gift from God. That sex is a gift from God. Now, we're going to come back to that in a few moments. So we're not going to spend time here right now. We're going to kind of uh, talk about that a little bit more. And then it says this, that it's to be shared between a man and a woman. To be shared between a man and a woman. Now, I know that in our, in our culture, especially even now in our society, that this is, uh, this is a, a, a subject that is so prevalent. And what I didn't want to do going into this message today, I, I didn't want this to be some kind of debate about morality and immorality. I, I just want to say what Scripture says, and I want you to see the gift that God has given to us here. But it's important that we find a biblical foundation for the things that we say. So watch this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is about the account of creation where God first speaks about the relationship of marriage. And it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So we see God's precedent there is for male and female. Jesus says it even more clearly in Matthew chapter 19. And says, some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, just just a little side note, and we'll come back to this in a moment. In the first century, such a male-dominated culture, there were times when the men, if they just got a little irritated with their wives, said, look, see you later, honey, I'm getting a new one. So this is what they were addressing here. And Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So you see God's pattern, and we don't have time to go into this a whole lot today, but God's pattern in marriage is for sex between male and female. And then the next part of this is in the covenant of marriage. In the covenant of marriage. That sexual activity between male and female is reserved for, it's to take place within the marriage relationship. Not just male and female, but husband and wife. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What's he say here? Look, sex is for the marriage bed. It's to be kept pure and reserved for that relationship of marriage. And he goes on to say that it's for a lifetime, this commitment of marriage that we share. That's the next part of our definition, that it's for a lifetime. It's not just a a whim in the moment, but you make that commitment for the rest of your life. Matthew chapter 19 again, verse 7. Why then, they asked Jesus, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? 
And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it is not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Why do we touch on that? Because this relationship is for a lifetime. This is not a whim. This is not a a one-night stand kind of thing. This is a commitment that God designed to last for a lifetime between a husband and a wife. Why? I guess that's the next part of our definition. For the purpose of. What is the purpose of sex? Because in our culture, so many times, I don't think people think about it. Just say, well, I'm attracted to him or I'm attracted to her. And we just kind of had a moment. I mean, there's this idea. I read some research this week about a, a study that they did asking people why they have sexual activity with another person. And, and most of it had to do with pleasure or intimate relationship. But there were over 200 reasons that people came up with. What, what is the reason? Well, let me, let me illustrate this a little bit. And uh, I'll I tell, you, tell you just a quick story to help us understand this. I'm, I'm not sure, but that this story is inappropriate. So I thought about not telling it. But I thought I'd try it out, and then I'll decide whether it's inappropriate or not. How's, how's that sound? When I, when I was a kid... I remember we had a family member who called our house. And do you remember back when telephones used to be connected to things? Do you remember that? So we had multiple phones in our house, and this person lived out of town, and they were, they were calling us. And whenever they would call, because they lived far away, we would all get on the phone and listen. So I think I, I had one phone, my mom had one phone, my dad had another phone. Do you remember that? Used to be like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm on one phone, and I'm listening. And, and this guy began to tell us that they were expecting another child. And they had had a child several years before and had hoped to have more children, but it seemed like it wasn't possible. And so um, they had just kind of decided that we'll, you know, we're probably not going to have any more children. And they just found out that they were expecting. And it was interesting what he said to my dad about the relationship that he and his wife had. He said, we were, we were, just, we, we were just having it for the recreation and it turned out to be for recreation. <laughs> Same word, right? Just put a little hyphen in there. And there's your purposes. Scripture tells us that one of the purposes of sex is for procreative recreation. What's that mean? Well, the very first command that God gave to mankind had to do with this subject. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So part of why God designed this gift for us is for multiplication. It's for procreative recreation so that he can continue to to populate the earth as people have children. That's part of it. But that's not the only part of it. It's not just procreative recreation. And and these words are chosen carefully. It's also and for intimate recreation. Why those words? Intimate recreation. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But in part, there's something powerful about that relationship between husband and wife that brings an intimacy, a communication, a healing, a strength to the relationship. And it's not just intimate, but it's, it's, it's recreation. God has designed this for something to be enjoyed in that covenant of marriage. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 Remember, Proverbs is a collection of of sayings that Solomon wrote to his young son to say, son, this is the way that you should live your life. Look at what he says. Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Doesn't sound like he thinks it's a bad thing, does it? 
Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. The truth of what he's saying here is there is something wonderful in this gift that God has given to us, which is the second truth I want you to see in this passage today. Number two, that sin is a gift. Not sin. (laughs) Wow. That was a word for someone. Wow. Number two, we're going to take that out of some kind of recording, right? Sex is a gift to be treasured. You try coming up here and talking about this, okay? All right? Number two, sex is a gift to be treasured. What's scripture tell us? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Look at what Paul writes. He said, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, we looked at this verse several weeks ago when we talked about our words, but here's what he's saying here. He says, Look, this is a gift from God. It's not something to talk dirty about, it's not a joke. This is something that you should be thankful for. It is a gift from God to be treasured. What do you do with a, with a, with a gift that you treasure. Have you ever been given something? And you just know that this isn't, uh, this isn't something cheap. This isn't something unimportant. What do you do? Well, a gift like that, the first thing you realize is that gifts are to be highly valued. Gifts are to be highly valued. When you're given something that's a valuable gift, you treasure that. You hold on to that. It's to be highly valued. Here's what Paul's saying. Look, sex is no joke. It's not something you just kid about or that you make light of or that you just make a a point out of um, laughing at it. It is a treasure between a couple that we are to highly value. And in that context of marriage, it is a gift to be shared. This is a second thing that we see here. Gifts are to be highly valued and gifts are to be shared. It's something that we are in that context of marriage to share with our spouse. It leads to intimate communication. It is something that God has given to us to make that relationship stronger and healthier, to bring healing. That's why it's so important that we recognize this. Look, there are times when people will choose to use sex as a tool and a weapon to either bring vengeance or manipulation, and that's not at all how God designed it to be. In fact, look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is critical to see that this is a gift that God has given to us to be shared. And it's not just about us in this process. It's about the healing and the value that it brings to the relationship. Have any of you ever heard of the great theologian Bill McGinnis? Does that name sound familiar at all? I've often heard him say this. That sex is not about me getting, but about me giving. It's a big difference in how we view that. In the way that we look at this subject. It's not about what I can get, but it's about what I can give. And what I can bring to the relationship. 
Here's something else about gifts. Gifts are to be enjoyed. When someone gives you something of great value, then that gift is to be enjoyed. Look, I want to challenge you, especially in that marital relationship, that you do not forget the blessing of this gift that God has entrusted to us. And I want to challenge you, and this, this becomes more and more critical in our world and in our culture, that you do not let what the world calls dirty, uh, you do not let the world call dirty what God's word says is pure. Do not let the world call dirty what God's word says is pure. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9 says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. How many of you are encouraged right now by that powerful scripture? (laughs) And you read it out of context, you don't get the whole concept. But understand this, he's saying, look, in the midst of the hardships of life, God has given you something wonderful to be enjoyed in that relationship with your spouse. Sex is a gift from God to be treasured. Third thing that we see in this passage of scripture. Number three, sex outside of God's plan has dangerous consequences. Sex outside of God's plan has dangerous consequences. You know, look, every, every time I, um, multiple times over the years, we've, we've, we've talked about this subject. We did about three years ago. And every time I have a chance to speak about this, you know, you see me, but I see you. And, and some people have this look on their face like, this should not be talked about in church. People should not be talking about this in church. This is inappropriate. Here's the deal. It's all over God's word, isn't it? And if there's any place we should be talking about it, it's church. And this is the reason why. Because outside of God's plan... There are dangerous consequences to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Look at what scripture says. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. And that that context there, speaking of greedy, is someone who wants something in a sexual context that is not theirs to have. For you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. Remember that word, an idolater. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He's telling us, look, it's, it's dangerous for you to pursue this gift outside of God's plan. Why does God give us a plan? Why does he give us what some people would call rules and regulations? Because he knows what's best for us, right? Not because he's trying to take anything from you. Not because he's trying to keep your joy away. Not because he's trying to rob you from something pleasurable. Because he knows that if you'll follow his plan now, there'll be pleasure later and not pain instead. I kind of liken it to a, to a parent who says to their children, okay, in the car, you're going to wear a seatbelt. Nobody wants to wear a seatbelt. They're not comfortable. They're restricting. They're just, you can't move around. They're just not much fun. But you get in one car accident, and you're glad you're wearing it, right? God's rules are there to protect us. They're to help us. They're to keep us safe. And as you'll see as we look at this, I think they have long-term benefits. Here's the deal. I have never heard anyone say to me that they regretted that they stayed sexually pure. No one has ever said to me, man, I sure regret that I stayed sexually pure. But I've heard the opposite of that countless times. What are the consequences? Let me give you just four real quick. There are physical consequences when you step outside of God's plan. There are physical consequences. There's disease. 
There's abuse. I mean, there's things that we could talk about. I don't want to take a lot of time there. Let me give you a second one. There are also emotional consequences. There are emotional consequences when you step outside of God's plan. Here's, here's the deal. You know what fills so many um, offices of counselors and pastors? I, I would say the number one thing is typically regret. People come in and look at their past and they just say, man, I wish I hadn't. I wish this wasn't. And there are emotional consequences when we step outside of God's plan in this area. I don't, um, I, I know this is like a, a real, it can be a real personal subject. And I don't like to meddle in people's lives a whole lot. It's just not my nature. I'd rather just kind of steer clear. So instead of me meddling, can I just read a quote from someone that's meddling? How does that sound? It's from a guy named Philip Griffin. And he says this. He says, if you're sleeping with the person you're dating, you're telling each other two things. First, you're telling each other that your relationship with God is not your primary commitment. And second, you're telling each other that you're the kind of person that will sleep with someone you're not married to. Do you think that repeating vows to each other will somehow change that? It doesn't. You will enter into a marriage if you end up marrying the person at all that you're sleeping with, already telling each other that you will sleep with someone you're not married to. What happens when he goes on business trips or when she goes on business trips and things come up? You already know that each of you is not first and foremost committed to God. Boy, that Philip sure knows how to meddle, doesn't he? But he raises an interesting point. See, look, when we step outside of God's plan in this area, we open up ourselves to some real emotional consequences, some real challenges in our relationships. Studies will show that when it comes to long-term fulfillment in the sexual area of people's lives, those who wait until after marriage find themselves more fulfilled long-term than those who do not. And look, it's becoming more and more um, prevalent in our culture. And I would say people that I interact with who, who, who come and, and here, here's, here's where I see it. Folks come in for, for premarital counseling and inevitably, eventually the subject comes up. Hey, are you guys uh, living together? Hey, are you guys sexually active? And at some point they get that look on their face like, oh, I told you he was going to ask this. <laughs> like I knew this was coming at some point. You, oh, man. And look, this is, this, these aren't my rules. I didn't come up with them. God did. And so my role is just to say, look, this is what God's word says. Now, where, where do you fall in line with what scripture says? And it's powerful to watch as a couple will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to their life and challenge them to make some changes. Sometimes it's a change in their relationships. Sometimes it's a change in their living, rela- uh, 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 what do you call it? living arrangements. It's a change that will come their way. But here's what I'm convinced of. I have seen it too many times. I am convinced that if you will honor God in this area of your life before marriage, God will bless you in this area of your life after marriage. I'll just, I'll just throw this out again. I am convinced that if you will honor God in this area of your life before marriage, God will bless you in this area of your life after marriage. And you might say, well, Chad, it's too late. God says, start today. Live according to his word today. Because I'm convinced if you honor God in this area of life before marriage, God will bless you in this area after. There are emotional consequences. Third thing, there's also spiritual consequences. 
And this, this is where Paul talks about this idea of idolatry. He says, look, those who are immoral in this area, greedy in this area, he calls them idolaters. It is idolatry to want something more than you want God. That's just a bottom line basic definition. It is idolatry to want something, could be a person, could be an activity. It is idolatry to want something more than you want God. And here's what happens. Idolatry consumes the soul to the point of excluding God. This is why he says in the Ten Commandments, look, you shall have only one God and I'm him, right? That's what he says. Because when you bring idols in, you force the real God out. And idolatry consumes the soul to the point of excluding God. This is critical. We have to realize that if we're not careful about this area of our life, it will consume us. It will consume our actions. It will consume our thoughts. Now, you might not be sinning with your body, but it's possible that you could be with your eyes or you could be with your mind. And Paul says, look, be careful. Because this has incredibly dangerous spiritual consequences. It will force God out in your life. And here's, here's, here's the thing that I want you to see. Because what happens, and we, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, so many times this stems from the fact that I think there's something I want that I do not have. So when I stop being grateful, I start wanting things that aren't mine to want. And what happens is that is so empty of a way to live. When we are drawn to what we do not have, we often get what we do not want. When we are drawn to what we do not have, we often get what we do not want. So many of us in our lives, we're just focused on what we do not have. There was this girl when I was in high school who I just, I had the worst crush on her. Man, this is before I met Rhonda. So just for the record, this was before. Man, I just thought she was 100%. She was awesome. I just, man, and I just, I wanted to be around her. I just thought, and, uh, you know, this, I'm just, this is true confession, very pathetic on my part. This went on for about two years. And then she gave me the time of day. I was like, this is awesome, right? And I remember we went out, like, in a group kind of setting, and it was the first time that I had really kind of been around her, close enough to just kind of get to know her, And about halfway through that event, I said to myself, ooh, she's not at all what I thought she was. I'd spent all this time focusing on this person that I thought I wanted to be with, only to find out that it left me empty inside. Here's the deal, and capture this. When we are drawn to what we do not have, we often end up getting what we do not want. There are spiritual consequences. And there are also eternal consequences. Paul says this so clearly in this passage. He says that no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. A life of deliberate immorality risks eternal separation from God. Just let that marinate for a minute. And he doesn't just say it here. He says it over and over again in the New Testament. Which leads us to number four. Number four, we must be careful to not be deceived regarding sex. Number four, we must be careful to not be deceived regarding sex. Okay, so let's go back to this. Would you agree that God's definition is different than the world's? Yes or no? So we have two different definitions. Which one are we bombarded with more? (laughs) The world's. 
So we have to be careful how we receive that, how we think about that, how we let that impact our lives. That's why Paul says, Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. There was a, there was a group of kindergartners that at Christmas did a Christmas presentation for the church, and they all dressed up like the nativity, and they were doing a little nativity scene, and they were getting ready before the service. And there was this one little boy who was a sheep in the play, and he was just walking around the room in his sheep costume, and he was going up to other people and going, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And somebody said, well, I'm a shepherd. And he's like, okay. And somebody says, well, I'm an angel. And he says, okay. So he walks up to the girl who was playing Mary in the presentation. And he says, who are you? I'm a sheep. Who are you? And she says, well, I'm Mary. And he's like, oh, like you're the main character in this thing. And all of a sudden he felt like he had to justify his existence. And so he looked at her and he said, well, it's not easy being a sheep, you know. She looked at him and she says, yes, that's true. She says, but it's not easy being a virgin, you know. (laughs) Now, five years old, she did not realize what truth she was speaking. Right? In our world, in our culture, it's so easy to be deceived by what the world says. Here, if I can say it to you in four words, don't buy the lie. That's it. When the world tells you that this is the way it's supposed to be, Paul says, look, do not let anyone deceive you. Do not buy the lie. Don't buy it. Don't give in to it. Don't go up against it. Be willing to go up against the norm. Don't focus on what you're missing out on. Man, so many people, the concern is, well, what am I missing out on? Potential pain? Those consequences we talked about? What happens is lies offer us empty promises. And the world is filled with lies on this subject. Don't buy the lie. They offer empty promises. And Paul says that someday those promises will be shattered by the truth. Lies offer empty promises, but lies are also shattered by the truth. And here's what I know. I know that for some of you that have heard this in the last few moments, as we've talked about what God's word says, some of you, and... and, It's just the reality. Some of you went, oh man. Wow. I guess maybe I missed it in a couple places. Here's why. Because the truth hurts. When we hear it, when it comes with conviction, it can be kind of painful. It can cause us to look at our life and maybe even experience a little bit of that regret we talked about. The truth hurts, but here's what else I know. I know that the truth will set you free. True? Jesus said it, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will change your life if you'll let it. So what do we do? Truth number five, we all must make a choice. Number five, in this subject, in this area of our lives, number five, we all must make a choice. What what choice do we make? Well, listen to what Paul says. Ephesians chapter five, verse seven, he concludes this part by saying, therefore, do not be partners with them. Those, those that are chasing after a view that's different from God's on this subject, he says, look, don't, he's not saying to go join a commune somewhere. He's not saying don't ever talk to anyone. Don't ever be a part of the world. What he says is this, don't be partners with them. Don't join in in that. Don't buy the lie, but choose what God's word says. What do we choose? I, I challenge you to choose holiness, to choose according to God's word, to live a life 
of sexual purity because you know that God's word can bring that power, can bring that pleasure. That We won't go back to it, but Proverbs chapter 5 so clearly maps out Solomon for his young son. He says, look, if you will steer clear of those sins, of those temptations, of that deception, you will find a life that is filled with life and with hope and with pleasure. How many of you, how many of you have seen this? Like, look, sex was God's idea. He's okay with us talking about it. But how many of you have found that the, we have an enemy of our soul called the devil? Would you agree with that? And isn't it just like the enemy to try to distort for pain what God meant for pleasure? And he'd love to take it and twist it. And I want to challenge you, no matter what your age, to determine that you're going to choose holiness. And then choose repentance. Look, if there's a place in your life where God has in these last few moments by his Holy Spirit spoken to you about something that might not be in line with his word, choose repentance. Whether that has to do in a relationship, or whether that has to do in the privacy of your own heart, your own mind, choose repentance. Here's what's so interesting. So many times we say this. We say, Jesus, I, I, I want you to come live in the home of my heart. Have you ever heard that phrase? Come live in the home of my heart. And then we keep the bedroom door closed. Because that's the one place we're kind of like, I don't think he wants in there. But God created that part of us. So to come to him with a heart of repentance and with a heart of holiness and say, God, I give you this part of my life. It might not be enough to just say sorry. It might be time for a change, for some accountability, for you to take responsibility. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. Choose holiness. Choose repentance. And then I, I'm going to challenge you to choose restoration. And I know maybe I'm speaking to just a select few here. But far too many of us have some kind of, um, I don't know, history or challenge or past. And whether we're married or not, it's had the potential to, to cast a shadow on this area of our lives. It's had the ability to, to rob us of something in this gift that God would want to give to us. And so what do we do? I say we choose restoration. There's this really interesting story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is, is at a meal. Let, let me read it to you. Luke chapter 7 verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Do you see the definition for this lady? She lived a sinful life. Most likely means that that sin, if we look at what he goes on to say here, we look at the context of the story, that it was sexual sin. Odds are she was probably a prostitute. She had a sexual resume that would probably make most of us in this room just kind of blush in shame. And yet here she is, not just at Jesus' feet, but touching him, which in that culture was thoroughly inappropriate for her to do. So much so that look at what happens next. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. How many times do you hear that voice in your head? 
about those things, those choices, those decisions. And the word that comes down is this, you are a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. And one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman. Then he turned towards that sinful woman, right? Then he looked at you in the midst of those things. And I I don't know if it's sexual sin. I don't know if it's some kind of condemnation that the enemy has brought your way. I don't know what it is. But listen to this. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's what I know. I know there's far too many marriages that in this area of their lives, they're missing out on some of the joy and freedom that God would desire to bring because there's too much of a past that hovers over and it's time for restoration. And for some of you have some things in your past in this area. It might have been years ago. It might have been days ago. And you've allowed it to control your thoughts or you've allowed it to control your life. And did you see what Jesus said and what he did for this woman who wrestled with this sin, for this sinful woman? He said, look, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. And you can know that same restoration in your life if you will entrust it to him. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And here's what I know. I know that if I I said... um, Everybody who in this moment is wrestling with a sexual sin, jump to your feet. That would be few and far between. We, we, don't, we don't respond in that way. But I also know that the Holy Spirit is, uh, for things past, present, and future, stirring in some of your hearts right now. And in this moment, as I pray for you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me That in the same way that Jesus brought forgiveness and peace and healing and restoration to that lady thousands of years ago. He can bring it to your heart today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word addresses real life stuff. Things of everyday life. God, it's not silent on this this very private, this very personal, this very powerful thing in our lives. Lord, and you're moving in some of us right now to choose holiness, to reject the world's view, and to embrace yours. God, help us to live with courage. And some of us, you've brought us to a moment of repentance. It's one that's got to go beyond this room and into our bedrooms. It's, it's got to go into our relationships. It's got to go into the things we put in our eyes and in our mind. 
Lord, we give it to you. And Lord, there's some husbands and there's some wives who need restoration. Lord, there's some individuals who feel like the world, or maybe even feel like you view them in a way that defines them as sinful. And yet, Lord, this story proves that when we come to you, you're quick to say, your sins are forgiven. Live in peace. So God, would you begin in this moment a work of spiritual restoration in our lives in the areas where we so desperately need it. Now, God, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.